Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the program. Uh, it's the 17th of May, 2018, and we're all still here as far as I know. I mean in general. I'm talking about the world. Yeah, I'm doing a macro thing, not a micro thing. So, <laughs> here we are. Damn. I, you know, I try, I've been trying really hard ever since my getaway in February when I took the whole month off to um, get away from being as uh, critical as I tend to be, um, th and that includes self-critical, but God, it's so, it's so much a part of my <laughs> sort of baked-in personality. Uh, so I'm sorry, I had, uh, I, my, my trip to work today was uh, filled with uh, situations designed to drive me crazy and test whether I am capable of uh, being non-judgmental or of um, maybe giving people a break and saying to myself, you don't know what's happening in their lives right now. It's not all about you and you're not the center of the universe. So that's all true, right? Um, uh, there was a guy walking down the street brushing his teeth. <laughs> I'm not I'm not being critical. I'm that's just that was an observation. And it, it was right in keeping with the entire uh, rest of the of the morning. I and you know, I was stuck in a traffic jam for a while as a truck this poor truck driver as a truck uh laden uh, it's a flat big long flatbed uh laden with rolled up sod attempted to make a right turn from a ramp leading from the i guess that'd be the veterans bridge he was coming off of into downtown and he was walled in by lots of stone and and it was a pretty tight and he got hung up causing a massive traffic jam to build up and dr all the way back to the boulevard of the allies this guy didn't know whether to go forward or backward either way i mean he was causing a major backup onto the veterans bridge too i assume he was doing a job all by himself <laughs> unbelievable and you know what I was maybe about nine cars back so I could just at first I couldn't see what was causing the backup and then I maneuvered my car because I'm as we say in Pittsburgh nebby to see what the heck it might be and there I saw the guy he's going back he's going forward he's and what was amazing to me and this is where I am not I think as patient as most people. Nobody in that line, nine cars maybe ahead of me, God knows how many <laughs> stretching behind me, 
you did not hear a horn honk. And this had to be going for mm, 10 minutes, let's say. Uh, and that's amazing to me. Because I was like, I am poised. I said to myself, honking the horn will not help. You see what the problem is. The poor guy is hung up. His whole dang truck is hung up. He can't go back. He can't go forward. I don't think, if you just honk the horn, you'll just make him even more anxious and flipped out. So I didn't until someone else did. Someone else finally honked, and then I honked. Oh, it felt so good. It just, it just felt good. I'm sorry, just acting out. And uh, damn if he didn't, uh, you know, try a little harder. And he backed up, thus continuing whatever disaster he was causing on the Veterans Bridge. But he let all of us coming in from the Boulevard of the Allies get past him. Um, he's probably still there. I don't know what the hell, uh, how the hell he's ever going to make that turn. <laughs> Meanwhile, so while I'm hung up there, I'm looking in my rearview mirror every once in a while, and here's the woman behind me. I just want to, I'll try to do a, a rendition. I mean, unbelievable. It went on and on. This angry, pointing, this and that. And, of course, I'm looking and seeing, is there anyone in the Of course, there's no one in the car. <laughs> I think that's actually worse than picking your nose. I mean, I don't know. You know how people in their car feel like they're alone so they can pick their nose. Um, but somehow, I don't know. I just, people, what is and here I am, you know, like freaking out myself. And the guy with the toothbrush was right after I finally cleared the, the sod truck. I, you know, I feel like, I feel like sometimes I'm, humanity, humanity is just, it is an amazing spectacle. I include myself. And um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so that is to avoid the news. Uh, by the way, there is so much going on with, uh, you know, Cohen and Trump investigation and what's coming out here and Ronan Farrow's latest, uh, he, he's a hell of a, he's a, he's a Woodward and Bernstein all wrapped up in a beautiful little too pretty blonde guy. God, shade. Anyway, all of that, all of that, all of that that's going on, and I, I, I don't think for a moment I'm not following it. I am. I'm just sort of waiting for the, the, the dust to settle a little bit. I can't. You cannot keep up. Um, and it's, it, it's sort of not, again, conducive to uh, anyone's mental health uh, to sort of stay riveted. I don't know, how do all those talking heads that are on uh, the cable shows that actually have to be totally up on this, yapping about it, dealing with it 24-7 practically, 
how does this not infect their lives, their relationships? My God. I mean, you really have to, well, I'll leave it alone. I mean, like, you know, Stalin. Let's take Stalin. <laughs> Look at the impact that that one bad human being, horrible, horrible human being had on people. I mean, you can't. I mean, Trump hasn't risen to that, anywhere near that level. And yet, you see how one person in a position of power can have such an impact on human beings' lives who will never know him, see him, let us set eyes on him, who and who he doesn't even think of for a moment, who he just disregards. The impact this awful human being <laughs> is having. And, 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 you know, impact, I guess, could be positive or negative. I do not in any way mean to suggest he is having a positive impact. It's a negative impact. Okay, the positive is, um, I guess, the women we saw re uh, elected yesterday, or, yeah, winning their elections and going to be elected in the general. Stuff like that, yes. But that is, of course, a reaction to his horribleness. And it is not just about him, the person. It is the impact of him on other innocent, good people's lives. And it is that for which I cannot forgive. And I know and even care about people who voted for him. And I can't, it's unforgivable. It was, it was a vote cast without any measure of consideration of what could happen with a man like him in a position of such power. Which means that it was a vote cast <coughs> offhandedly to slap back Hillary Clinton, who you hated. A lot of people. Right? You, I, do you have any idea how many people voted for Trump not because they liked him, but because they hated her. <laughs> it is. I mean, I keep bumping into him. It is mind-blowing. And that that's on the Democrats for putting up such a divisive, I always say divisive, I don't know why I said divisive. That's on the Democrats for putting up a nominee who had such baggage. I'm not even talking about her husband. Anyway. Oh, one more little thing. i got to get off my chest, and then I'll get into news. I heard myself say consideration. That people voted without giving due consideration. I was thinking, actually walking into this building this morning, that inconsideration is epidemic, it seems to me, in our society. How 
we encounter it with such constancy, such constantly, constant. And each act of inconsideration, however small, by one human being, has this ripple effect. I don't know, do, and do all of us realize that as we, in our little teeny way, navigate this huge, huge world, that every action that we take or fail to take has an impact, on others, sort of like I was talking about with Trump, with Stalin, that we don't, do we ever, do we, do we think, is that something that is in our heads all the time, what, for some people it is, but I think they're in the minority, from my observation. I am really sort of blown away by the constant inconsideration I see. I mean, it can be something as small as you're crossing a crosswalk and there are cars trying, you know, who are waiting for you and they're trying to make a turn. And you walk extraordinary slowly, okay? Now, that I, you would say, oh, come on, Cullen, come on. No, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm crossing a crosswalk. I see cars waiting for me. I'm not going to slow down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on it in consideration that I am holding up a bunch of other human beings trying, like I am, to get someplace. Right? When you pull into a place to park, <laughs> do you pull up, do you take up two spaces, okay? By virtue of maybe leaving too much space in front of you or behind you on busy city streets, thus taking an. If you do that, and I saw that on my way in here today too. And I'm looking at this car. I'm looking at the guy who just did it, and he. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Obviously, you're not thinking about anybody but you. But what are you thinking? The fact that we just simply do not considerate others, the sort of closed in self-centeredness of our culture makes it an unpleasant place. I've never understood it. My problem is I am beset by uh, an overly, I think, uh, empathic personality. So I'm always, I mean, and to the extent that I don't really often think about me as much as I should. So I'm always, oh my God, look at them, they're waiting, I've got to do this. Oh my God, oh God. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually spending too much time in other people's shoes as opposed to my own, I think. Which is why I am so sensitive to this. But I don't understand 
How pe- I just don't understand. I really don't. I've never understood, and I'll go to my grave not getting it. Um, I always thought the older I got, I've said this before, that I would understand the world better. (laughs) And by the world, I mean humans, my fellow homo sapiens, and I don't. I'm aware there's incredible kindnesses that are um, done every day. And I note those two. But I'm just the offhanded inconsideration that is rampant. And I, I'm sure I'm guilty of it too on, on occasion. It's not one of my big sins. Anyway, I just had to say that. I, I just, everybody, everybody try to be better. And and the thing is, you know, and we've heard people yap about it endlessly, including me, that with this uh, awful human being now heading our government, um, other awful human beings are emboldened and feel, why should they feel qualms? calling people names and denigrating immigrants and, 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 and just totally being out front about their racism. And, and why, why should they when, you know, the president of the United States, who we used to think was serving as some kind of an exemplar of proper conduct, certainly that was the case with the last president, a dignified honorable man and now you know whoo who let the dogs out I mean it is just bad behavior everywhere and thank God for those cell phones because you know there's not a day that goes by now that we're not we're not shown another one of our fellow Americans behaving in a way that is so reprehensible. The latest, I'm sure most of you have seen it, is this awful man. He's been identified now because that's because it went viral. Um, and he's in some kind of a food shop. You know, I think it's one of those salad places. You go in, you make your own salad, you get the heck out. It's mid- Midtown Manhattan. And um, and he starts yelling at a unseen uh, group of people because they're speaking Spanish. <clears throat> and <coughs> if you haven't seen it, this is such an ugly scene. Someone videoed him, and he indignantly goes up to some poor manager of this place. And I've got the some of what he said here. Your staff, he says, <clears throat> is speaking Spanish to customers when they should be speaking English. Let me just pipe in here with the fact 
that there was a waiter kind of person apparently talking to two customers and the customers engendered the conversation in Spanish. All three spoke Spanish. So they were speaking to each other in Spanish. And the guy goes on, every person I listened to, he spoke it. She spoke it. He's speaking it. As if speaking Spanish was like, you know, drowning puppies. By the way, there's a video up too about a teacher drowning animals in front of his class. That's out there today. And then the guy says, this is his, this is the slam dunk. This is America, he says. And you hear some voices in the restaurant saying, yeah, this is America. <laughs> Meaning, yeah, you friggin' fool. In Amer and it's New York, for God's sake. You can hear a million languages. So he starts leaving and then, as so often with jerks, he thinks of another thing and back he comes. And he gets in someone's face and says this, I will be following up. My guess, my guess, he says, is they're not documented. So my next call is to ICE. And he puts his phone up as if he's taking pictures of all of these people who were speaking Spanish. My next call is to ICE to have each and every one of them kicked out of my country if they have the balls to come here and live off my money. I pay for their welfare. I pay for their ability to be here. The least they can do, the least they can do is speak, speak English. And you hear people starting to scream back at him and some people laughing at him and he says to one woman honey i'm calling ice takes it this kind of stuff is happening you know god knows how many of these things happen and we don't get it on video but these things are being gotten on video left right and center now this guy's been identified. He's an attorney. He's not some uneducated hick that a lot of white folks like to think of as racists. Oh, this is an educated man, right? And by the way, the idea of that awful, horrible woman in San Francisco who was calling the cops because she saw two black people having a barbecue in a public park. That woman has been identified. She teaches at Stanford University. Again, just heads up. Racists in this country, they ain't all ignorant people, meaning uneducated. Oh, hell, some of the finest racists have PhDs, have law degrees, and also 
feel emboldened by Donald Trump to behave like the thugs in Charlottesville, to behave like the thugs we're seeing everywhere. I sometimes can't believe this is my country anymore. I don't think it is. And I really need, I really need all of us to start really being vocal in situations where we see this kind of behavior, being vocal. It's time for that. Speaking of being vocal, I've been vocal enough. I think we have a caller. Caller, hello. Sorry. Hello, Lynn. Yes. Good morning. I wanted to tell you that uh, I found myself recently in a state of semi-retirement, so I've been able to actually catch you a couple times a week now delightfully. Um, I have not been able to listen for years, and I think the last time I actually called in was somewhere around 1987 or something. Oh, God. When you were on on TAE. Yeah, wow. um, Just just to make that comment, it's uh, it's delightful to to see you and be able to listen to you again. You know, the the flip side of the wonderful technology, um, back to your kind of earlier comments about the cell phones where we're able to capture you know, some of this nonsense that goes on day to day uh, and related to when you were talking about, you know, people walking in the crosswalk. What I have found very disturbing is that not only, so two things, not only the people who walk the crosswalk when you're stopped, I have seen people deliberately slow down and stop and stare at me as if to say, I dare you to kind of, you know, move your car. Right. further into the crosswalk. And so that's one kind of phenomenon that I just can't wrap my head around. The, the other thing is that I can hardly drive my car between my house in Bloomfield and Shadyside Panera <laughs> with the number of stops in between that short distance without at least 50% of the time when you come to a red light, you have to honk to the person ahead of you because they're sitting there when the light turns green. They're on their phone. Their phone. Yeah, they're on their phone. And, and I think I think I'm being conservative to say 50 percent. It's probably actually more than that. And it is just it's absolutely maddening. It has gotten to the point where I, I actually you know become afraid to to drive at some points because you just you have to be one has to be so vigilant these days when you're driving. Right. That it's just uh, it's just unbelievable. That's Here right. My comment. That's Again, right. I'm so I'm so delighted to talk to you. Well, thank, thank you. you. I'm delighted to hear from you. Thank you, thank you so much. I I have to tell you, I, I had by I had two near misses yesterday on the Parkway, both times drivers in a in the left lane all of a sudden decided because they'd been distracted by probably on their phones or something. Oh, wait a minute, I gotta be in the right lane. And they just come out of nowhere. Yeah, cut you, you, it is true. There are more horrible drivers on the road. It is dangerous out there. You cannot for a minute be distracted. And that's a funny thing to say, given that there are so many who are. And whenever you're behind somebody who solves on slowing down, who's not, who's, who's, or somebody drifting into your lane, you can bet they're on their phones. It's dangerous out there. 
Ben writes, I had a small bit of culture shock visiting Seattle. People there don't jaywalk. What? I didn't see it once. <coughs> Unlike living in Squirrel Hill, I'm a jaywalker. All right. Where I see it daily, people there cross at the light at crosswalks. They don't run, but they don't saunter either. And cars wait patiently. There must be some strict laws there, but the behavior seemed very civil as a result. Well, you know, I often think that. I think if everybody really did just, and I just admitted I'm a jaywalker, if everybody would just follow the damn r rules of the road is set down, then we'd all be on the same page. That's where the Pittsburgh left screws a lot of people up. That's not the rule. The rule is the person turning left waits. The person going straight has the right of way. And, you know, what happens sometimes is that um, someone not knowing that's the case or a Pittsburgher just assuming because they're turning left, they can make that turn when the other person is not making that. If everyone, you know, the Pittsburgh left in that regard is not so much a sign of Pittsburghers being nice, it's a sign of uh, the beginning of the end of an understanding of what the rules are because the Pittsburgh left is not a rule. And not everyone in Pittsburgh at every intersection is going to uh, abide by this. I, 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 I don't know. We'd all be safer, safer if everybody uh, just follow the damn rules. Uh, what else I got? Um, oh, I don't want to go there. I brought up ice. Um, it is the worst. I mean, ice, I'm sorry, I can't look. I see guys, video of guys with I-C-E, ice on their back. And my blood runs cold. It does. I frankly, I see them. Uh, they 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 scare me like a like you know an SS <laughs> SS person would scare me because they they do the same kind of thing. They bang on people's doors in the middle of the night and drag them into the streets. They separate children from their parents. Invariably, whenever they show up, there's weeping and screaming and, you know, and human suffering. And they are acting on behalf of you and me. They are governmental. This is representative of our nation now. And now the news that our country is not only going to separate children, infants, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, from their parents. They're going to stick their parents in a detention facility somewhere, and they're going to grab the kids and stick them in Quonset huts on some military base. I'd love to be making this up, but I'm not. 
That is the plan. And it is spoken of with no shame by high-ranking members of our government. We live in a country now in which the President of the United States yesterday called human beings animals. He was referring again to the same people that this guy in New York, the attorney, was screaming at. People who speak Spanish. People with brown skin. People who are here and do not have proper papers. The vast majority of whom, the vast, vast majority of whom are working their tails at, off at two to three jobs, no benefits. They're paying taxes. They can't be on welfare like the idiot attorney in New York. You're living on my welfare. They are not. They are giving to the country, and they get nothing back but a dream that's quickly turning into a nightmare for an awful lot of them. Animals. This is out of the uh, Nazi playbook, too. When you want to get rid of people and you want them not to be treated humanely, you take away their humanity. So you make them not humans. You make them vermin. You make them animals. And you begin to reference them in that manner, which the president has done more than once. Again, this allows... Haters, killers, xenophobes, racists, to do the same. And the more this becomes part of the conversation, more of the audio backdrop to our daily lives, the more brown people in this country or somebody speaking Spanish in this country are looked at by an increasingly growing number of Americans as not quite human. Animals. Vermin. And that is every despot's... It's following the despot code, line by line. You want to get rid of people? You know, whether you're tossing them out of the country or you're gassing them or killing them and or killing them. You first dehumanize. And you dehumanize by through language, through action. And that is what the president of the United States is doing. Which is why I can't sing the Star Spangled Banner anymore. I can't. Don't you choke on the last line? How can any American who really loves this country, who really understands what this country is supposed to be, tells itself it is, how can any American not choke on the land of the free 
and the home of the brave, there's nothing about freedom or bravery in separating children from their parents and putting them in Quonset huts and making them live in constant terror. There's nothing American about people wearing the American flag on their uniform, breaking people's doors down and pulling them out of their beds at night. The land of the free and the home of the brave? Taking a knee is the least you can do. I first read about this thing I'm next going to tell you about uh, in regard to what was happening in, um, in Michigan. But it's spreading to uh, other states now. It's spread to Ohio. It's spread to, let me find it for you just so I don't get, there it is. It's Michigan, I think, was the first state that did it. Ohio has now starting up. And uh, what they're doing is because they want to, as usual, uh, make poor people poorer, uh, make people who are living on the edge and living in despair, make them go over the edge. Uh, and this is coming now from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services which has uh, begun, um, well, well, just gave the green light to any state that wanted to, to start imposing work requirements on Medicaid recipients. And um, lest you think there's no racism involved in this, because, you know, there are more whites on Medicaid than blacks, so that can't be racist. No. Not until you hear what has happened in the state legislatures of Michigan, Ohio, and Kentucky. And there'll be other Republican states following suit. They're putting bills in that would give waivers to people from these work requirements to get their Medicaid if they live in counties with a high unemployment rate. They, they set the rate at a certain point. This is after they do their due diligence and figure out where these rates are. And where these rates are, are in overwhelmingly white, rural areas where there is high unemployment. In the city centers, the counties that surround the cities in Ohio, Michigan, and Kentucky, the unemployment rate is much lower. That's where the black people on Medicaid live. And so it is so blatant what they're doing. Now they can say, oh no, we're doing that because you can't ask people to get work. If there is no work to be had, you can't penalize them for that.
most of these exemptions would totally bypass any people of color who almost all in these states live in urban areas in which there is not a lot of unemployment. I, it's, it's unbelievable. That's just one little thing. You got to understand. Um, so let's just get some here. Here's some numbers that'll make this clearer to you. I think the Washington Post did this. Um, okay, in Michigan, Medicaid work requirements exempts those now living in counties with an unemployment rate of over 8.5%. That leaves out Detroit. That leaves out Flint. According to an analysis of the state, this exemption, white people would account for 85% of those getting the exemption. Despite the fact that white people make up only 57%, of the potentially affected population. On the other hand, let's look at it from an African American perspective. African Americans in Michigan, only 1.2%, 1% of African Americans living in Michigan who are on Medicaid would get this exemption. 1%. Despite being 23% of the Medicaid population. Flat out racism. There's more, but I'll give you a break. Let's do some emails. Kathleen writes, Dear Lynn, I'm aware of the plan to put children and parents in separate jail houses. I simply cannot abide what I hear and see. Who made this decision? The Department of Homeland Security. Because I know I don't sleep at night knowing that these little children are with their parents. And I'm sure as hell glad that the Department of Homeland Security is on top of this great threat. Um, it is the Department of... Let me see. It's them, it's U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, and also involved will be Health and Human Services because they will, they will oversee these essentially jails that the children will be in. Kathleen says, but what can I do? How can we stand by and let our country become Nazi Germany? Do we have no laws, no leaders who will put an end to this horror? I am truly mortified. Do your listeners have any ideas about how we stop this? Well, 
we, as I said, we don't stay silent. We don't stay silent when people who we know make a comment that is ugly, hateful. In a me measured voice, we try to inform them. If they refuse to listen, then I don't know what you do. You sever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know either, Kathleen. You vote. Tuesday, a lot of people did what they could do, and look what they did. They made some waves here and there. That's where it starts. And you get active in any way you can. And you know what you can do? You can start working for organizations that help uh, undocumented workers. You can start, you know, leaving big tips at restaurants where that you suspect some of the help might be <laughs> not with all the full paperwork. You, I, you look around for ways to put a human face back on this country that, so we don't have to be so ashamed. Um, Barbara writes something, she's talking about something about Tom Bodet. He's the guy, member for Motel 6. We'll leave the light on for you, Tom Bodet. And he has what? Um, he's written about what he calls the group that notices things. And Barbara says, Baudet tells of a distinctive group of people who notice things and who distinguish themselves by a special kind of attentiveness to others around them. He tells of a woman who shows kindness on the highway by pulling over when she evidences a manic and frenzied need to pass. Oh, I mean that someone needs to get around her and so she pulls over. In another example, a lady at the store with a cart full of groceries and kids appears to be in a bad mood, but when they meet at the checkout counter, counter and Baudet has only a pack of gum, she invites, yeah, well, sure. See, I don't understand people who don't do that. I did that just the other day at the Giant Eagle. I had a whole bunch of crap. There was an old guy who came up behind me who had two things in his hand. I said, you go. <laughs> And just yesterday, it got paid back to me. I was in another giant eagle, and I, I had some stuff, but not as much as this older woman in front of me, and she saw my look as I sort of I looked at her thing, trying to figure out which line to go to, and she said, do you want to go in front of me? And I said, no, 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 it's okay, and I you know, decided to find something else. Why don't people do things like that? Why I've never understood why people wouldn't rather be kind. Do a good turn to something. You know what? I'll tell you something. It's selfish in a way because you feel good. It makes you feel good. You think, okay, I just helped that guy a little bit. You don't feel bad about that. It's the right thing to do and you feel good. 
the group that notices things. Baudet says it's as easy to be part of the group as using your turn signal. <laughs> Doing little things to make it a little easier on people you might not, you know, be noticing. The guy behind you, right. Baudet urges his readers to look around and give it a try and notes that you shouldn't worry about making a spectacle of yourself uh, in such kindness because no one outside the group would ever even notice. So become a member of the group that notices things. And David has a pet peeve. My pet peeve, he says, is when driving in a parking lot such as Costco. Oh, I know what you're going to say. I, I bet I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to join you. The grocery store, the mall, people walk down. Oh, this isn't what I thought you meant. People walk down the middle of the driving aisle. <laughs> they act oblivious to me, who's in my car, where my car is supposed to be, right? In the driving lane, trying to get through. Why can't they walk to the side of each of the driving aisles instead of down the middle? That is true. I thought you were going to say, when people get in their car, they unpack everything, they get it, then they uh, you know, put their cart away, let's hope, then they get back in their car and you think, oh good, a place. And then they don't leave. They just sit in their car. I don't know what, the, they're looking at their phone, they're doing this. But I mean, if you're going to do that, you could, knowing, knowing someone is saying, oh, goody, a place. I think you have to be a jerk to stay in the place. I mean, if you need to look at your phone, pull out, get let somebody have the space, pull into a, and pull over someplace where you're not in someone's way, and then look at your friggin' phone, right? It's what a nice person does. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, and I said, how can you stand for that? I can't sing the Star Spangled Banner. I just want to say this. This is a piece that was, um, I don't know, in the New York Times Monday. And uh, it hit a chord with me because I have uh, found um, one of the things that sort of like started pissing me off when I went to pirate games, besides the fact that they keep destroying their own. Well, they're doing beautifully. They're in first place right now. Do you believe that? Anyway, it's the militarization of the experience. And it is off-putting to me. And I can't be the only one. I don't go to a baseball game. I don't go to a football game to be indoctrinated in American military might. Or to call everybody who puts on a uniform a hero, because I think that's not true. And someone, a guy named Howard Bryant, 
who contributes to ESPN and NPR, uh, did a piece on it, and I was glad to see it. And he specifically calls it the politics of patriotism at, uh, at sporting events. And he says it, it's pretty much uh, something that has just exploded since 9-11. Um, although I have to say the flyover nonsense was happening before that. Stop and think about the fact that, how, what is it, 9-11? How many years is that now? I thought when we first started, uh, it was in the seventh inning stretch or something, when did they start singing God Bless America, trotting out some person in a uniform, and the flag going, and everybody has to... I'm not there. I want to say, sing, take me out to the ball game and go get a cotton candy. I don't... What the hell is that about? Oh, what this guy says, so our national grief after 9-11 turned into a permanent commercial bonanza and a chilling referendum on who gets to be considered a good American. He talks about a New York police officer who ejected a fan at a Yankee game for leaving his seat during the seventh inning stretch, <laughs> which is when you're supposed to leave your seat. I thought, because he walked out when they were singing God Bless America. He arrested him. He ejected the guy. And this guy says he asked somebody, an official at the Red Sox, he said, um, why are we still playing that God Bless America in the seventh, uh, seventh inning stretch? And the official said this, I don't have a clue, but the team would get killed if it was the first team to stop doing it. So little by little, this is how militarization, which is also a part of how you make a country fascist, is how it happens. In any group where you get a mass grouping of Americans, you do indoctrination. And see, they're afraid. I bet none of these teams want this crap anymore. But they're afraid. They pull out. Can you imagine Fox News and everybody else going berserk on them? You tell me. The first time I saw the Pirates, I was at a game once, and the Pirates came out, took the field, and they were wearing camouflage. They were wearing camo uniforms. What the heck? I found it offensive. So this guy says nearly two decades have passed since those Twin Towers fell and all the props and touches designed to uplift us, a wounded country, then, back then, have become permanent. That's why I say we're not the home of the brave. We didn't do that after Pearl Harbor. We didn't do that after. You don't 
it, it it's making us victims. It's this, you know, we all love to feel like we're victims. And if you keep 9-11 alive like this, every time you go out, then we get to be victims. Again, we get to be hurt. Again, we get to think of Muslims we'd like to kill. Again. But what's the big hoo-ha about sports now? It's black athletes taking knees. There's no, there's no thing. Get this crap out of the goddamn baseball and football state. Would you get it out of here? I don't go to a movie and have to stand up and sing the star. I don't go to a theater and have to go up, stand up and sing the Star Spangled Banner. I don't live in a country with this kind of indoctrination, militarization going on all the time. And we're about to have our first big military parade, are we not? Because our would-be Fuhrer wants it. This is not America. Unfortunately, it is. See how these things just quietly, insidiously become the norm? Huh? You realize every time you stand up at the stadium and they put a huge flag out there and we all do this, you ever realize what's really going on? And then the flyovers? What is that about? What is it about? Love of country? I don't think so. Love of country would be about not separating kids from their families. Would be not separating out black Medicaid recipients from white Medicaid recipients. Uh, love of country would be about working to make everybody feel secure and free. Love of country has nothing to do with camo uniforms and flyovers and enforced acts of obeisance to some patriotic, jingoistic ideal. And we're so far gone, right? Okay, what can you do? I once refused to stand during, I was at the pirate game and the person I was with said, get up. I said, I don't like being pushed around. I stayed seated. I am sure people were glaring at me. I don't give a damn. These are the little things. Remember that, you, you've seen that huge, huge, huge picture, picture uh, of, of, in Germany of all of these civilians like this, huh? Do you see that picture? And someone identified one guy standing in the middle of all of that. I don't know what happened to him. But I bet it wasn't something good. But that was a good man. That was a man who was true to himself. 
and to an ideal and principle. Little, small acts of resistance. Kathleen, things like that. That's what you can do. And sometimes it does take a measure of courage. But stop and think about how much courage people living in this country who speak Spanish with brown skins, who don't have the right papers, think of how much courage they have to summon every minute of every day of their lives in this wondrous country. I weep. Well, you are welcome. I hear the thank yous for an uplifting program, and I want to say you are more than welcome. Absolutely. All right, I got to go get some blood drawn. <laughs> uh, maybe the guy brushing his teeth is still out there. I don't know. Oh, God. Pay attention. That's all. Just pay attention. And thank you. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.